you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of John and be making your way there. If you don't have a Bible, we want to encourage you to grab one there in the pew rack because it's important that we open the Word and hear God speak. And we open our heart as well for the Word to speak to us. Now, back in January when we studied started our study of the attributes of God, the first attribute that we considered was called the aseity of God. We didn't actually study the aseity itself. We studied the two aspects of it, and that is that God is self-existent and that he's also self-sufficient. Those are the important aspects to understand about God's aseity uh, when we consider all the other aspects of his essence. God is self-existent. His being is of his own. He's not a being like you and me. We're human beings. We have being because he is the being, the supreme being. And that's the whole point. We're not a being like him. He's of a totally different category. And he gives beingness to all other beings. But he's not just self-existent, we learned. He's also self-sufficient. And so this may be a newsflash for some this morning. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He is sufficient in and of himself. His existence doesn't depend upon anything. And it's these two ideas, listen, that God is self-sufficient and self-existent that help us understand that God is a say. He is, has a saity. He is sufficient in and of himself. But I want to go back, even though we did that back in January, there's an aspect of that, a saity and his self-existence that I want to focus on today. And it's all found in the Gospel of John, throughout the Gospel of John, elsewhere in the Scriptures as well. But it is that God is life. And it's a beautiful truth, a wonderful truth, that frankly our culture has totally forgotten. Our culture has walked away from. In fact, it's amazing to me, you know, it used to be that yesterday, every Saturday in September, like yesterday, the Pregnancy Center Walk for Life would be downtown. They used to walk the streets. I remember a decade ago when we started doing that, when we moved here. And, and now it's relegated to a, a high school track because something else marches through town, which doesn't celebrate the God who gives life. It actually is something that's frankly disgusting and abominable to him. Something's wrong in our culture. That, to me, demonstrates just how dark it is out there. Now, we've considered just over the past couple weeks... You say, well, Pastor Chris, we, mentioned, we discussed uh, God is the creator, and he is. He creates life, and he is creative in the way he does that. His life, by, by the way, is he's eternal. So the life that we give, though limited, he himself doesn't experience any limits to his. He's an eternal creator, but it's in the light of his eternality that I need to make the most of the life that he gives me and gives you. It's Jeremiah that said... That the Lord is the true God. He's the living God and the everlasting King. Jeremiah was speaking to God's own people and they had turned away from the living God, the true God, to worship dead idols. In fact, Paul in Athens, when, when he saw all the idolatry in Athens, I mean, they had a God for everything, even to the unknown God, right? When Paul saw all that, he was deeply disturbed within himself. And, and he spoke to, to the men, the philosophers there uh, on Mars Hill. And, and it's there in Acts 17 where Paul said, listen, you don't even understand. In him, in God, we live and move and have our being. 
God just doesn't give us life. He, he sustains our life. He keeps our life together. You realize he could speak a word this morning and there'd be no life? That's how powerful our God is. In fact, the theologian Norman Geisler says it this way. Theologically, to speak of God's, God as life is to say two basic things. God is alive. Praise God this morning. We've been singing and celebrating that. Our God is alive. He's defeated death. And he also is the source of all other life. His life he has intrinsically in and of himself. He is self-existent. But he's also life. And any other thing that has life has it because of a gracious gift of him. You see, God is absolutely, absolute and abundant in his life in himself. The source of all life as the creator. He gives life to other creatures. And praise God, he sent Jesus, his son, to save us from death. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for life. I'm, I'm glad I can do this right now. <sighs> Breathe. It's good, isn't it? To have life. It's a truly a gift. And I've had the privilege to see the, the birth of seven babies. And, and it's a miracle every time to... To cut that cord and, and to carry that precious little newborn in my arms and to stop and think how completely dependent that little one is upon his mom and his dad. It's humbling in so many ways and you value and you treasure that life realizing it's precious and a gift. Life is something, listen, it's studied in, in high school, right? How many of us have taken biology? Any students in there right now, right? You remember biology? What is biology? It's the study of life. It comes from one of those Greek terms for life, bios. There's also zoe and, and, and suke. But bios, the study of the natural order of life, bios, that's where we get our term biology. Now, what they don't teach you in biology class is what we're talking about today. That all of that life that you study, whether it's plant life or animal life or the phylums and, and all the other classes and kingdoms and all that stuff, and animal life, all that is because there is a God of life. There's a God who is life. There's a God who gives life. And, and we need to realize that because we live in a culture that has rejected the God who is life. And what we don't understand in some ways is that our life on earth has limits, particularly young people. They think, man, I, I've got a big world before me and a life before me, and, and they live fearless, right? But the reality is our God ordains life. He, he writes all of our days in a book. He's ordained your days, my days. In fact, as we learned last week in in, in examining his eternality, that we should live in such a way that, that our lives matter, that, that we pray for him to help us to, to know what is the, the measure of our days so we can have hearts of wisdom. You know, when you're so young and, and then suddenly someone in their youth is taken in the prime of life, right? It, it arrests our attention to this humbling truth that God has ordained our days. We're going to live each one, not one more, not one less. I know we try to eat right, at least some of us, okay? And, and we, we try to exercise, some of us more than others, right? We, we, we take our prescriptions and, and you think, you know what, we can, we can outrun death. But the reality is it's coming for all of us. But God's ordained it all when it will happen. We don't, we don't have power over life and death. Our God does. 
And you would think with all this learning about life, our study of life, and, and, and whether it's in the plants or the animals or in, human, in, in just human beings, you, you would think when we see how precious life is, when you cradle that precious baby, that, I mean, the frailty of life, no other creature is so utterly dependent upon its parents as a, as a human baby. All the other creatures, you see them when they're born. They, soon they're up and running and doing things. Not babies, not, not, not human beings. You, you would think we would cherish life and we would want to experience the fullness of it. That we would fight to secure those that are in the womb to have the life that God has ordained for them. And, and that even as you get to the other end of the spectrum, as people get older and now there's no appreciation for the fullness of life then. And, and there's a desire in some countries to expedite one's departure from this world. What's happening? We've lost what the French would call the joie de vivre, the joy of life. Where, where is that joy of life? We live in a culture of death. Everywhere you look, it's, it's zombies, right? I mean, we live in a, in a culture where we don't value life. We, we even deny the dignity of being made in the image of God and, and having life. A culture that destroys life in the womb and the violence that we've seen against the unborn, has now begotten a nihilistic worldview. How many have seen and heard others say, you know, life is so meaningless, there's no purpose to it. You see, this violence just begets more violence, and increasingly there's a, a depreciation of the value of life as God has given it. And we see that around us. It's almost as the wise man in Proverbs 30 says about a generation he defines it so clearly. There's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. By the way, how does that generation get here without the father and the mother? There's a generation that's pure in its own eyes, and yet it is not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are its eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. A generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. You see, this is a culture that's turned its back on the living God, a culture that has no regard for the words of life that God would speak. And, and what happens is you reap the fruits of that departure and your own demise. That's what it looks like out there in a culture of darkness, in a culture of death. And it looks bleak. I mean, is there any hope? Is there any word that we can speak to that culture, is there anything positive we can say when so little have appreciation of life, so few have faith in the future, and a generation has become increasingly darkened in their mindset? You have to wonder uh, if, if there's any hope for not just our country, but for our children and our children's children. But there is hope if we'll turn back to the God of life. And John writes to remind us that there is a God of life that gives us hope. In fact, he didn't just come to give us life. He came to give us life and give it abundantly. I mean, it was Jesus who said, listen, I'm not a thief who comes to steal. I'm not one who comes to destroy. I'm the good shepherd. And I come to that not only you might have life, but you might have it more abundantly. That's in John chapter 10, verse 10. We're just going to read the beginning of John chapter 1. And then I just want to walk through uh, much of John's gospel and also his epistles and just point out to you how, how John is saying over and over again, listen, I've written so that you can realize that you can have life. But that life is only available in the name of the God who is life. 
And so we study this attribute today to understand the essence of our God so that we aren't robbed of the life that God wants, has given us and, and wants us to enjoy. And we recognize the sacredness of life and the beauty of it and we cherish it and fight for it. I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord so that we can hear God speak to us today about the life that he has given us. John chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the first five verses and another verse here in a minute. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Down to verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. God, first off, praise your name, Lord Jesus, that you came and made us aware of the life. You came, and you illumined our darkness and helped us to understand that we needed the life that God was offering us because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And I pray today that there would be a greater appreciation and understanding. And that, Father, we would live resolve each day of life that you give us. Realizing that, that you are life and that it is a gift. And, God, I pray that, that we would see in our lives, Lord, uh, something of beauty, Lord. Uh, a fruitfulness of life, Lord. Uh, that we would live it before this world around us so that they might inquire. How do we have such joy in living? And Lord, may it be because we have found the one who was seeking us, the God who is life. And Jesus, we ask now that your spirit would speak to us. Give us not only anointed preaching, but anointed hearing of your word so that our lives can be made new. And we ask this in your powerful and precious name. And all God's people say amen and amen. What you and I do in life matters to God. It matters to others, every moment of every day is an opportunity for us to walk with the God who gives us life. The God who gives meaning to life. The God who can give you purpose in life. Your life matters. Every single one of you. Listen, you have value, you have dignity, no matter what this world around us says. Everyone has value in their life. And your life matters to God. He gave you that life. He didn't have to. He had life in and of himself. He, he is the self-existent one. Before anything was, life existed in the Godhead. That's what John is emphasizing here in verse 1, verse 2. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Of course, John is going to talk about the incarnation of this word, this life that took on flesh and dwelt among us. That life that took on flesh, listen, he didn't become God or become life at that time. He always was, always is, and always will be because he's God. But before anything was, there was God and the word and the spirit. John gives us this echo of, uh, of the creation account over in Genesis chapter 1 with this in the beginning. Immediately you'd stop and think that before there was time, before there was space, before there was any created stuff, there was God. 
John reminding us even of that. And what he does is he gives us this evidence that God within himself had self-existence. He had beingness. And, and that's what theologians call a seity. But, but the Father had that all within himself. He's not depended on any other being. He can't be and truly be God. In fact, if you just write in the margin of your Bible, John 5, 26, John 5, 26, and John 6, 63. I'm going to flip over and read those. And you can follow along with me if you want, or you can just mark it in your Bible. But over in John 5, 26, this is what Jesus says. He says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. You see? The self-existent God has always had life. He doesn't have a becoming. He, he always has been. He exists. Existence belongs to Him. Nothing that has existence, nothing that exists apart from God, appeared or became without Him granting it existence. And what he's emphasizing here is, is that the Father doesn't just keep that to Himself. He gave it to the Son. Now, some might read that and say, well, then the Son has a beginning. That's heresy. It's called Arianism. And we don't believe that the Son has a beginning. We believe that the Son has been eternally begotten. He always has existed as the Son. That doesn't make Him less than God. Because the Father is fully God. And Jesus is fully God. But He has existence just as the Father does. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. But the Father eternally generated the Son. That's a deep theological thought, but it's essential to our faith. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit proceeds or spirates from God. The Spirit comes from the Father in such a way that He also is processing in that way. And he too has life. In fact, that's the John 6, 63 passage when Jesus speaks there. And what he says over there in 663 is it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But those who were gathered around him didn't believe him. They didn't believe much of what Jesus was saying. But we understand and know, even from the creation account, when God made all things, the Spirit was there brooding over the water. And John would tell us here in John 1 that the Word was with the Father. And all three are God, and all three have existence in and of themselves. You say, well, big deal. We know that. No, it is a big deal because the world rejects that. The culture of death out there denies that. Humanism denies that. And what you get is when you don't acknowledge that God is the self-existent life, you will not acknowledge that your creation, your origins, are tied to Him and dependent upon Him. And what happens then is in a godless society, it is the strong that survive because they destroy the weak. That's what Proverbs 30 says. And that's the culture we live in. The will, the might, the power of those who have the ability to live, taking it out on those who can't. But the being of God is an abundant life. God had enough of it in and of himself. But the amazing thing, praise the Lord, he shares it not only one with another, but he created you and created me. And he gave us existence. He gave us life. He's the origin of all life. And that's what John affirms. Listen. He was in the beginning with God, but 
All things that were made were made through him, and nothing without him nothing was made that was made. You see, he's not just self-existent and has the life in himself. Praise God, he created something. That's why you and I are here today. He, we exist because he is the origin of it, the author of life, Peter would say in a sermon in the book of Acts. He is the author that gives you life, gives me life. In fact, when you go over there and you read in Genesis, the created or the creation account, what you find is God created all the plant life. He, he made all the flora, all the fauna. He created all the creatures, whether they were swimming through the ocean or swimming through the sky, or whether they were creeping on the earth. And if there were dinosaurs, he made them. I don't know if there were, but if, there, if they had life, he made them. You know why? Because he's the origin of life. And then he made humanity. Male and female, he created them with dignity because they're made in his image. And the origin of life begins right there when God takes a man. He takes some dirt, some dust of the ground, fashions it, forms it, as Moses records there in Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a nefesh. In Hebrew, a living being, a soul. And here we are today. Of course, he, he took one of those ribs and bara. He, he made the woman. He formed her and fashioned her just for the man. Again, another beautiful picture that our world has distorted or rejected completely. And it's to our detriment that that is happening. And we still haven't seen the full magnitude of how that's going to affect our children and our grandchildren. God is the origin of all life. In fact, what's fascinating is over in the book of Colossians chapter 1, when you read there what Paul says about Jesus being the agent who is the creator, who brings all these things into existence, what's amazing there is we also discover that he created the angels. The angels aren't eternal. The angels had a moment when they didn't exist, and then God brought them into being. Now, What's amazing is, you and I, being main image of God, we are able to reproduce biological life. But it's God that imparts soul life. We make physical life, we have that ability, when a male and a female have relationships and become one, they are able to bring forth life. But God is the one who imparts soul life. And what's fascinating is, when we live our days on this earth, that life that God gives us, Every day that we live on this earth, God has decreed the beginning and the end for you and for me. He's already written it down in a book. He knows all of that. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, before we were, we were made, he knew our frame and he knew our future. He knew everything about us. It's an amazing thing to stop and think for a moment that my God is so not only knows my days, he's intimately acquainted with all of my days. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows what color they are. He knows which ones are about to fall out. He, he knows some of the circumstances and events that we're going through that make us want to pull our hair out. Uh, amen? He knows not only that. Listen, when some of those circumstances make us want to pull our hair out and we cry, he's the God who's so aware of what's going on in your life and my life that he puts our tears in a bottle. He is intimately familiar with what you are experiencing right now in life. It's not an, oh, wow, I didn't know that moment for him. He is the origin of life. And he knows us personally, intimately, 
even when we don't want to acknowledge Him. He knows how frail we are. He knows, as the psalmist would say, that we are, He is mindful that we are but dust. Psalm 103, 14. In fact, not only does He know that because He made us, but He knows that because He put this stuff on. He knows what it's like to walk in this stuff, to be tempted, to be tested, and yet He never failed like you and I have. And he originates all of this life. David would say it this way over in Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days short in length. My lifetime has nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is just a mere breath. James would say, like a vapor, right? Here today, gone tomorrow. That life that we enjoy, that life that we have, the author of it, the originator of it, the source of it, is God himself. And anything that we see was made with him. Matter is not eternal. That's what the humanist wants to teach us. That's what the scientist wants to say. Because they have to reject the eternal God. They have to come up with something else that is eternal, but there isn't anything Because without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the origin of all life. Now, what's fascinating is when you go through biology and you begin to study this life, they don't teach you this truth, but it's a truth that's critical to you understanding just how much dignity you carry in life and how precious you are. And yet what we do discover in biology when we study that, if we pay attention in biology class, we we discover that life to continue needs certain things. Life needs food, water, air, and light. These are essential. You know, if the sun stops shining, things are going to start dying, right? I mean, you did that little plant project where you put one of the plants underneath a light, and the one that had the light grew, and the one that didn't have the light didn't grow. Light is essential. Air, oxygen is essential. Water is essential. Food is essential. If, if you don't have air, you won't live more than three minutes. If you don't have water, you won't live more than three days. If you don't have food, you won't live really more than three weeks. If you don't have light, you can't see all those things that you need. John is recording all this for us, and here's the amazing thing. That this life comes, this light shines into the darkness, and the darkness doesn't comprehend it or doesn't acknowledge it. And yet what's fascinating is as you go through John's gospel, and I'm going to show you in just a minute, how Jesus is all of those things. He is light, he is air, he is water, he is food. In so many ways, and it's critical for us to understand that, because the God who is life, self-existent, and the origin of light, we depend upon his light to experience the life. Without that light, we're not going to experience the life that he has for us. You see, that light comes into the darkness. That light penetrates. It bears witness. And it comes into the world to every man as it comes in. But the the world that was made through him did not know him. Doesn't acknowledge him. Rejects that creator and that light that he sends. And yet John's going to say this over and over again. I mean, he's going to be writing and saying, Hey, listen, Jesus says over in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of life and the light of the world. In other words, this light that has shined, that Isaiah would say a light has dawned, right? For the Gentiles and for the Jews, the glory, the Shekinah glory light for the Jew, the light of salvation for the Gentiles, that light has dawned. 
in Christ. That was the prophecy. It was coming. And He's come. And that light comes and it brings life. And yet those who desperately need it, you and me and everyone else, don't always accept the light that penetrates and comes. What about air and and the breath of life? Well, Jesus had this conversation over in John chapter 3 with a very religious man, a religious leader named Nicodemus. And and as he was speaking to him, he was speaking to him about life. He says, hey, listen, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You have to be born again. you got to have new life. Nicodemus says, wait a second, what are you talking about? You can't go back in your mama's womb? I mean, that doesn't happen. And he says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things? (laughs) You're not born physically of water. You must be born spiritually. I mean, it's a mystery how this happens. I mean, the the wind blows and you don't see the wind, but what you do see is the effects of the wind. It's the same way with the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit. You don't see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit in someone's life. You see the fruit of the Spirit. You see a transformed life. It's the same way. That's, that's the breath of life that now has to come into you and me. In fact, stop. Think what happened in the end of John's gospel when Jesus met the disciples up in the upper room. Remember, they were like, is he alive? Is he dead? I mean, we, where is he? And he appeared, came through the wall, and he said, peace, I speak to you. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then John says what? He breathed on them. You need that breath. You need the Spirit of God to come into your life. In fact, what about, the, what about the food? Well, what's fascinating is Jesus says that too. Over in John 6, 35, Jesus is speaking there. And he's speaking to about life and judgment that will happen through him. And, and he speaks in John 6, 35. And, and he says, listen, <clears throat> uh, he was, oops, forgive me, here it is. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. It's pretty amazing as he was speaking there about being the bread of heaven. You remember when the picture is of the manna in the Old Testament. When Moses was leading God's people through the wilderness, and they were all hungry, and they were complaining and grumbling and saying, we need some food. And he went to God and said, how do you feed two plus million people, three million people? And God said, I got this. And in the morning, there was manna, like raisin cakes. Sweeter stuff than we're going to have at the auction in a couple weeks, but still buy that stuff too, right? It was good. Jesus saying, listen, I am the bread of life that comes down from the Father. And if you eat Of what I give you, if you come to me, you will never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst again. Now, now how do we experience that? How do we taste? How do we see for ourselves that that he is this satisfaction that that comes down from the Father? It's not unless the light of God's word illumines our hearts and, and the truth penetrates our soul, and we realize we need to respond to that light. We say, what about water? He he said, you know, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. Did Jesus ever mention that he's like water? Oh, yeah, John 4. You remember that discussion he had with the woman at the well? Jesus came. The disciples had gone into town to get him a a meal. And while they were there, the the woman came to the well. And Jesus said, by the way, could you uh, get me some water? And she said, sir, do you not have your own pot? And he said, well, you know what? If you asked me, I would give you what? Living water. And you'd never thirst again. Well, Lord, give me this. In fact, it'll bubble up within you and out of you. And she said, oh, I'll take some of that. 
And, uh, and, and the amazing thing was, in that little discussion that they had, she thought he was merely a prophet. And the reality is, he says, no, the one that speaks to you, he's Messiah. And she went and found everybody else, left her water pot, and said, you've got to come and see the one who said everything about me. Why? Light penetrated and opened some eyes to see and to realize. This is the amazing thing. John is saying for you and saying for me, Jesus is everything that we need to sustain us in life. And that life depends upon the light, the revelation of who he is. God's light that penetrates into the darkness, that comes into this world. We no longer have to walk in darkness. We can have, as John 8, 12 would say, we can have the light of life. And that's why Jesus came to this world. I mean, you look around this culture of death, you see it everywhere. Listen, zombies aren't just some TV show, okay, or some video game. Those that are dead in their trespasses and sins are like zombies. They're walking, they have life, but they don't really have soul life. Jesus came to give that. Jesus came to give that, not just to this world around us, to you, to me. In fact, John would say, even in this gospel, he's writing these things to us. He's writing about these signs, these miracles that Jesus did. I mean, there's a whole bunch more he could have written. But but these he has presented to us so that we would believe Jesus is the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, we might have life in his name. You are not going to have life if you're not united, connected To the God who is life. Oh, you might have the days here on this earth, but there's a whole eternity before us. There's a whole eternity and endless days that we will spend in one of two locations. You will either enjoy the fullness of life in the presence of the God who is life or separated from Him. But that depends on the decisions that we make today. The light that comes in, it either causes men to repent of their sins or to run away from God. To repent means we run to the open arms of God that are reaching toward us, realizing that he who is the resurrection and the life has conquered death and offers us eternal life if we will but repent and put our faith and trust in him. And the Spirit of God convicts us and convinces us that we need to accept this truth and believe it and put our faith, our trust, transfer our trust in him. But if we don't embrace that message, that light that comes to us, then we reject it, and that doesn't lead to salvation. It leads to damnation. And we do not experience life as God intended it. In fact, Jesus would say, hell wasn't made for man. It was made for the devil and his agents, angels. But it's a consequence if we reject this light that is coming in. And you would think, I mean, light shines, we run right to the light. But that's the whole point of verse 5 of of John 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Literally, the the darkness did not grasp it. It it, it suppressed it. It didn't embrace it. It didn't take it in. And, And that's really the challenge before everyone this morning. I mean, the God of life made you. He He's written all your days. You have breath right now because he says so. And what he has given you life and breath for right now is if you haven't done this, to turn to him and accept the eternal life that he offers because his son has paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody pays that penalty. Jesus paid that for you and for me and for this world. Or as John would say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, 
He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for also for the whole world. He's done everything that's necessary. I mean, we just sang that in the song. Everything is that was necessary, Jesus has accomplished. What, what hinders us from coming to him? I mean, the Spirit of God is wooing. The Spirit of God is convicting us uh, of sin that we have not believed, as John tells us in his gospel. In fact, what's fascinating is, is John is writing this so that we might believe and that we might have life in his name. And we need it in his name because Jesus is the one who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, God can be exclusive in this ways because he's the self-existent God who has life. And he's the originator of any life you and I enjoy. And he says, this is the way that you can experience the fullness of life in my son. You have to come through him. You have to come acknowledging it's an exclusive way. Only through Jesus. You know why? Because he's the only one that's conquered the grave. And can offer to you and to me eternal life. Because he has the victory. The battle has been won. And we should live like that each and every day. Those of us who have experienced that life. Those of us who have had Christ come into our hearts and transform our life. This presence of the Spirit in our life. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And when God's Word says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin, I may be breathing right now, but if I have not yet put my faith and trust in Christ, I've not been born of the Spirit. But the moment I do repent, the moment I do believe, a new creation happens, new life. And it's the eternal life. That comes from knowing him. You know what's even fascinating today. Is that invitation is extended to everyone in this room. Anyone watching online or listening on the radio. Anyone. That invitation is out there. For anyone to come. You know what stops you from coming? Your own choice. You reject the truth. Because the light has come. But you can, take, you can take this free gift of eternal life. That is offered to you this morning. In fact what's amazing is. Listen, you may be a believer this morning and you have accepted that life. You have received that free gift. Do you realize in John's epistle, he writes in such a way, not that you'll have life. He's writing so you, you, know, you have a test, you validate, you verify. Yeah, I have the eternal life in me. But actually, he starts writing, as he says in the opening of, of 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. He says there, he's writing so that we might have fellowship with the Father and with his Son and that we might have life. Like abundantly, or a fullness of life, a joy in life. And so it's possible, listen, that if I'm as a believer, I've been born again. But you know what? I need to live each day walking in the light as God is in the light. And as I do that, that fellowship grows. And I experience the more, the fullness of life that Jesus promised me. You see, this is a time when we, when we make decisions in, the, in our service, when we say, you know what, God has spoken. The question is, will I unite faith to what I've heard him say? Will I choose to believe? Will I obey the word that I've heard? And that obedience may be, you know what, I need to obey the gospel, which says to me, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. But if I will humble myself and say, God, have mercy on me. I see your son. He died on that cross for me. And I want to put my trust in his sacrifice. The Bible says that with repentance and faith, we can be saved. When we believe that message, that truth. And by doing that, the Bible says that we attack ourselves. To him. He becomes the head of our life. 
And as a body of believers, we are a body of believers who have all made that similar profession. We, we've all have attested that we are attached to the head. Now, I don't know if you studied biology, but hopefully you did take that science. At least I've learned this in life, especially when I deal with snakes. Did you know that when a snake has no head, it's dead? Praise God. I just do not like snakes. Did you know that? Listen, for life to be essential, the body has to be attached to the head. Right? Now, it doesn't make sense to say I'm attached to Jesus, he's my head, and not be attached to the local body, as his word describes it, a local body of believers. Fellowship within the family of faith is critical to your life. It's important that we encourage one another. John was writing so that we would, he was writing one believer to a whole church of believers. Hey, listen, I'm writing so that you can have fellowship with the Father and our fellowship is with the Son and, and, and that we can also have fellowship one with another and, and that we can have joy as we do that. And that's part of being uh, tied, part of a, a local body of believers. And that's what's essential. That's why at the end of the service, we extend that opportunity to come be a part of South River Baptist Church or be a part of some church somewhere and then bloom where you're planted. Give evidence, give testimony that your life's been changed and you're not like walking like a dead zombie any longer, but now you have the fullness of life because I'm walking in the light of God's word and he's nourishing me and I found the satisfaction for my hunger. I found the satisfaction for my thirst. I found the life that I didn't have before and his name is Jesus. And our world needs to see that in your life and my life every single day. 